is Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. Uh, I am here today, every show, every episode, uh, keeping me protected and safe. Caitlin Postal. Brian, how are you today? Good. You had no response to that. I, I love that look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping you away from the shameless plugs, maybe. Exactly. Exactly right. And we have our very special guest today, Stuart Pick from Bright Pearl. Good morning, hey Stuart. Yeah. Oh, good afternoon. For good me. afternoon yeah. for you. Good yeah, afternoon, good Stuart. No, appreciate you coming on. Uh, where, where are you exactly in the world? I'm in Bristol. And if you haven't heard of Bristol, it's about two hours west of London. Okay. Okay. Good. How's the day going so far? Yeah, it's good. It's um, it's sunny here, which is unusual for the right. British weather. But yeah, yes. no, it's going great. Yeah. No, your British weather is still here right now. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's rainy. It's, it's cold. Yes, exactly. Oh, we like to share it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Stuart, tell us a little bit, give us a little bit of background on yourself. So we, we, we know who you are and what your background is and maybe give us a little, a little bit of uh, bright pearl. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I, I often say that my, my background is Bright Pearl because um, I've been here for almost 11 years now. Okay. Um, wow. But I have, I've, worked, I've worked in technology, uh, mostly cloud businesses, my, my whole career. So um, I started Bright Pearl way back in August 2011. We were a, a much smaller organization back then. Um, but currently today I run partnerships. So I'm responsible for the ecosystem of partners, both uh, technologies, which extend the capability of Bright Pill. So we have integrations and e-commerce platforms. Uh, we have fulfillment partners like yourselves. Um, we've got payments and shipping and a whole host of kind of technologies that, that help our merchants to grow. And then we have service and solution partners, um, which also help our merchants to grow through digital marketing and other kind of optimization services um, and things like that. Um, so yeah. And then awesome. and then for anyone that doesn't know Bright Pill, Bright Pill is a, a retail operations platform uh, and essentially, we fix the growing pains that merchants face as they scale um, through through automation of the back office. Awesome, awesome. So um, you can't tell because my office is dimly lit, but I'm 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 not as youthful as I appear thanks to the thanks to the dim lighting. But so I go way way back, right? I go, and I remember the days when EDI was like that was the thing. And all the retailers adopted it, and you had to adopt it, and that's just the way the world went. Is 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 that dead? It's definitely not dead. Um, the world of EDI is is definitely still here, um, and you know, fuel fuels a lot of business growth for a lot of merchants. And so, um, you know, the majority of our integrations are are API driven. Um, mm -hmm. and um, standardized connectors that, that we build and support ourselves. But EDI is absolutely a part of e-commerce, um, especially when you're dealing with the, the big the big box retailers, you know. Seems to be more so in the US versus the UK for some reason, but I, I couldn't really put my finger on exactly why that is. But yeah, no, we, we definitely uh, work with a lot of trading partners. Yeah, and does that, so, you know, it's an interesting, because of the way EDI, and, and I'm, I probably know just the, enough about this to, to be conversational on it, but, you know, it's such a structured format, and then you go to open APIs, which seem different. How, how do those two pieces of technology play together? Um, I mean, 
the way that the way that we do it is we work with a, a preferred EDI partner. So it's a single integration into into that particular partner. I don't know if I'm allowed to, to name them. Um, but um, but yeah, that we they, they literally are the the kind of the, the floodgates to all of the different um, partners out there, whether you're buying or selling, whether you're you're dealing with um, you know some of the the really big players out there. It really it really kind of opens up the market. If you're a small growing merchant, maybe you're you know doing a couple of million online, something like that. You can still trade with some of the biggest brands on the planet, uh, and we do that through a single integration to our um, through our preferred partner. Interesting. So around the EDI technology, right? So it's there was obviously a rise or a need to get away. It's always the you know necessity is the the, the mother of invention, and so EDI created some sort of must have created some sort of limitations that said, okay, let let's modernize the tech stack. Um, was there any? Is there any? Where, where are the advantages? I guess from getting away from EDI. Obviously, it's there for those that have it. But now, for for running your brand, what's the advantages to going to a more modern uh, tech stack? I mean, most technologies that we come across out there, um, they use standardized APIs. You know, Brightpool ourselves, we have an open API which is available for any developer um, to write integrations using. Standardized um, developer languages, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I think that's that's really the advantage. Um, you know, our our system talks the same language um, as every other e-commerce technology out there, and so you know, connectivity has become so important for for merchants in order to reach their consumers, to use different technologies depending on you know, where they are in their in their stage of growth, and so really APIs have kind of opened up and allowed even relatively small businesses to to connect to you know big platforms and access technologies that maybe 10 15 years ago were only available to to some of the world's largest brands with pretty deep pockets you know right so we have the uh, acronyms flowing this morning this afternoon we got our EDI we have our API so we work with a lot of emerging brands, some startups in some cases, who are familiar with their standard e-com platforms, right? We have our Shopify's, Magento's, WooCommerce's of the world. And then as they start to get more sophisticated, or even as we have that initial conversation, folks are like already forward thinking to now OMS, ERP, um, ROS. So what can you tell us about when it makes sense for at least a digitally native brand to start to get into those other kind of sneaky acronyms that may otherwise be interpreted as like a retail functioning type of platform? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we don't get too hung up on the terminology because I think depending on where you cast your net, depending on what, you, what you're what you looking for, um, we, we, get, we get called very a wide variety of different kind of uh, terminology and acronyms. Uh, yeah, the one that we've landed too. on that we like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and so we, you know, we're we're not offended. We, we you can kind of relatively speaking call us what we like. The one we've landed on is retail operations system because that seems to that seems to um, fit the most in, in the most accurate way. And we we actually try and separate if we're going to be sort of if I'm going to be nuanced about it, then we try and separate ourselves from the pure order management systems. Um, right. the, we, we look at order management systems as more of a more of an entry level system. So if you're a, a fast growing business, um, I would refer to an order management system that, that pretty much just performs that function. It will take in a, uh, an inventory and, a, and a, a sales order feed from, from different channels, manage that stock between the channels and, and pretty much do that typically aimed at 
smallish businesses, sub-million. They're often pretty low-cost, typically monthly rolling contracts, um, self-serve implementation, that kind of thing. And then at the kind of the top end of the market, you've got what we refer to as the ERP, which is often a pretty scary term, depending on you know your yeah. background and your experience with these these kind of technologies. ERP is is not really designed to work with with retail and, and e-commerce. So we think of ERPs, or at least the traditional ERPs, as being more suited to lots of different industries and sectors. You know, they'll serve not-for-profits and healthcare and transportation and professional services. And really, these platforms um, are heavily customized in order to feed, you know, to meet the workflows of those particular businesses. Okay. So the reason we came up with retail operations platform or system is because we're built specifically. We're like an ERP that's built specifically for e-commerce and direct-to-consumer businesses, effectively, and we run the operations part of the um, part of the business. So, yeah, it's. It depends where you come from, what you're looking for, but that's the reason why we came up with the retail operations system. Anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess it's just not like a one size fits all or a certain threshold where it makes sense to go into that space. It just sounds like the ROS is more flexible and less of a like broader spectrum, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we had to kind of pick a, a profile of, of merchant and bright pills, very big on ICPs or ideal customer profiles, as, as we like to call them. Um, typically, once businesses get to a maybe a million, two million dollars of t- of turnover or revenue, that's when there's a there's enough volume and complexity in that business, and there's enough you know sales orders and enough channels and complexity in the replenishment process that you really start to outgrow an order management system, and you need something that's a little bit more automated, like a, like a bright pool. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that holds true And with some of the prospects that I speak with on a day-to-day basis that you can see that part of their business, it's growing and they need those different functionalities that they may not otherwise get from your standard Shopify plug and play. Exactly. And and it's not that it's not that order management systems are, are bad. They're just they're just designed for a specific purpose at a particular point in time, you know, as you as you start as you're trying to grow your business. That's um it's really what they're designed for and optimized for. Yeah, and, and and interestingly, you mentioned replenishment, which I is is I think is critical to to a business. You know, replenishing properly, whether you're under ordering or over ordering, could be could be damaging to your business. What are some of those uh, pain points that that you find um, that brands are having right now? Yeah, it's an interesting one because order management systems, ERPs, they often have a pretty rudimentary way of. Uh, handling replenishment. Typically, they will have um, you know, a, a reorder quantity and um, a minimum order mark. And that's okay if you're a relatively small business. But once you get to, you know, maybe you've got several hundred products and they're all selling at different velocities on different channels, maybe different territories, that kind of thing, it can get out of hand pretty quickly. Imagine your worst performing SKU, maybe a a really ugly pair of shoes and a terrible color um, that you just can't sell. Um, and yeah, the software says, and you maybe you've been trying to sell these things for years. Um, you finally get rid of them. You sell them at cost. And all of a sudden, the software says, oh, you've got to your minimum five. You need to right. go and order another 50. I mean, you're back to square one. No, 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 no. Pause, pause. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. Shelves full of ugly shoes again, right? So. Right. The, the name of the game and, and, and the, uh, the skill in inventory forecasting is really to use the sales data as a way of predicting how much to reorder, when to reorder, 
what to reorder, depending on your goals. And those goals might be customer acquisition, profitability, it might be you know, lots of different lots of different things. But that's the real skill. And honestly, most people do this using spreadsheets and also right. sorts of kind of complex formulas and, and things like that. And um, yeah, it's quite easy to come unstuck. And so the two things that normally happen, people are always overstocking or understocking. Right. And if you're overstocking, you've got cash tied up that could be better deployed on marketing campaigns or maybe better better SKUs. And if you're understocking, then you know, you're missing out on opportunity. You've got customers that can't purchase your products from you. And so um, both are not not particularly good. You know, you, optimizing stock is a an advantage. Yeah. So are these modern operating systems, are they starting to lean in on this predictive analytics? Um, on the whole, I would say no. So we're we're at a distinct advantage. I don't mean this to sound like a plug, right. uh, but we, we actually acquired a business back in August last year, a company that we've been working with for, for several years because it's such a big opportunity um, for, for most merchants. On the whole, most systems, including Brightpool, prior to, to, to our to our relationship with this organization, you know, had the had the fairly rudimentary way of predicting. Um, replenishment, um, but yeah, it is a it is it is a fairly industry wide problem for order management systems and, and ERPs. Right, right, yeah, I would imagine so. And and you know that over and under selling and over and under purchasing are are definitely challenges for sure. Is the server dead? Are most people cloud based? You know, it's is there been a, a reason long- not to not be cloud based? I mean, to me, that seems like a no brainer at this point. Right, I'm, I I remember. Some of the some of the early conversations I had at Brightpool um, back in 2011, which seems like a lifetime ago now, I still remember conversations where not we weren't just trying to sell our own software. You know, we were really trying to convince people that the cloud was was secure and, and all of the kind of standard benefits. Um, these days, we don't have too many conversations around that. I think I think I mean, obviously, cloud is is here to stay. We don't see too many systems or competitors that, that offer, you know, on-premise or, or a hybrid, although there are still some out there. Uh, I think, I think, I think it's fairly, it's, it's widely enough adopted by banks and social media and everything else, every other part of our lives. I, I think, I think the server is all but dead for merchants, at least anyway. Why would you, why would you want to run your own server estate and everything that that entails when Really, what you should be doing is focusing on the customer. I can't. I don't think in this sector. I don't. Certainly not the businesses that we serve. I can't imagine why you would have any desire to run your own software on premise. Right. Right. Just just give it to Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. Just, well, they'll, they'll put it. They'll put it in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> in terms of um, uh, building out a tech stack, you, you know, so there's obviously advantages. Um, as you continue to grow your business, what does that mean? Uh, you know, the brands are so focused on the end consumer. What does that mean for the end consumer? When most merchants start out, so bear in mind our, our ICP, the, the target of businesses that you know that we bring on and that we that we look for, they they've got to a million or two million of turnover and they're, they're starting to they're starting to grow and, and scale. And I think when you when you start out as a business, if we started a business tomorrow, we wouldn't necessarily be thinking about the technologies we want to run our business in two years time, three years time, you make the best decisions at the, at the time, um, normally to, to serve a purpose, meet the goals, you know, whatever they might be. And that might just be pure survival, to be honest with you. 
Um, and that, that might be to build out your customer base, might be to just meet payroll, whatever, whatever it is. And so a lot of businesses will start off with an e-com site. If, you, if, if we started a business tomorrow, we'd start off with an e-com site. We'd probably have to have an accounting package. Um, both of these things would have been pretty major investments, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, we could access technologies now that would, would ideally be probably better than um, some of the technologies that were around then for a fraction of the cost. But I think when you, when businesses start to think about building out their tech stack, not many merchants, in my experience, design that tech stack with the consumer in mind. You end up with a this kind of Frankenstein cluster of technologies that were once suited to your goals at the time, um, that no longer really meet the the needs um, of your consumer. And, and really what that means is technology is not really talking together. You've got workflows that aren't particularly automated. Um, and, and often when we speak to merchants, it's at that point where they're starting to get issues, things not turning up on time, things that are more manual uh, than, they, than they should be. And they really start to think about, well, how do I design this process from end to end? Not just what you can see on the front end, website you know that is not the consumer experience the consumer experience is everything from you know your, your acquisition channels all the way through to that item turning up at the door and beyond you know, re- returns and, and that whole experience as well and i think when you when you start to think about that customer journey from kind of soup to nuts from end to end you really start to think about how do the different technologies talk to each other uh, and how do i optimize that for the for the customer experience um yeah that's a difficult thing to do when you're just starting out, you're not really thinking about what does that look like in two years' time, three years' time. And you go through this kind of evolution of technologies and swapping things out and consolidation. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that that in your experience that merchants aren't using the technology to drive that customer experience. Like that's an afterthought. And maybe it's just like in those beginning stages. But what are some uh, mistakes that you see, tech mistakes that you see brands falling into or, or, or repeating? Because I would think that they would use these now with so much enhancements and being able to use automation in a big way to surprise and delight the end users that that's kind of where I would start right so what is what are those blunders I think it's I think it's really just using technologies that were never really designed for scale um, okay that, that that's honestly the thing that, that we see and bear in mind we don't we don't get inquiries from people that are you know perfectly happy with their the way their operations are running like we're we're brought in to solve growing pains and those growing pains are uh, complexity, channels, volume, uh, and, I, and I always say that volume kills manual processes. It's mostly people using technologies that were not designed for the size and scale that they've become. Um, sure. It's not that it's not that those are bad technologies. It's just that they were never really designed for a business of your shape and size. That's, yeah. that's honestly the, yeah. the biggest. Yeah. I'm laughing a little bit, Caitlin. Before before you go ahead, I'm I'm laughing a little bit because we. We run into that a lot with people choosing 3PLs that don't, right. you, they're not bad for when they started, but they're not someone that they can scale with. And, and and unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, as an e-commerce brand, everyone goes into into it thinking that they're going to be highly successful, yeah. but then they'll choose a 3PL that can't support high success. Yes. And so it, it sounds like it's very similar on the tech side. Yeah, yeah you, you read my... You read my mind, Brian, because I was thinking of the when we go to site visits and you go to a warehouse and there's this huge piece of automation and you would think, all right, they're going to pump. There's going to be stuff flying, orders going out the door and they're using it to like stack a box on. 
Or right. someone's just putting it's like a conveyor belt that someone's just using as means to put tape on a box. Right. And you're like wrong technology, yeah. or maybe yeah. right technology, wrong time. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure exactly. that, that kind of parallels there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult as well because I, mean, I think we've all seen those um uh, those infographics or that, that Martech um diagram that shows, you know, how many how many technologies there were five years ago and how many they, how many they are now. It's really difficult for for merchants to to choose the right technologies and differentiate b- between the two, which is why I love this world of partnerships so much. But um yeah, it's all about it's all about selecting the right technology at the right time for for the job. Um probably just the, the biggest blunder that we that we see. Yeah. So what do you what do you see coming? Uh, and again, I know I know the tech side is moving at the speed of light right now, and then it's constantly changing. What do you see as some of the major changes that'll be coming up in the in, in you know the not so distant future? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of consolidation in our space. There's a lot of acquisitions. There's a lot of con- there's just just so much consolidation everywhere you look. Um, the competitors and similar businesses that we saw. You know, two or three years ago, you know, they no longer exist. There's been some some fairly some fairly major ones. So I think I think we'll I think we'll continue to see more consolidation. Honestly, the biggest thing that we see is and, and the most successful businesses that we see are the ones that are flexible and, and can adapt to to different changing conditions. I think for me that was the the biggest lesson of the pandemic. You know, you saw brands that um, could quickly switch on new channels, adopt different business models, um, switch on and plug in integrations. It's that old cliche of it's it's not the strongest of the species that survives, it's the most adaptable to change. Um, and that, that's honestly where we, we see we see things going. And so integrations plays a huge part of that. Again, there's been consolidation in that market, lots of the uh, the iPaaS providers um, getting acquired by you know some of our competitors and um, some of your competitors. So mm-hmm. I think in integrations and access to different technologies, I, I think is I think is key. And I think businesses just have to be ready for whatever's next. However, consumer habits change, whatever the shopping channels are of the next couple of years and, and things like that. I think it's about remaining agile and being able to just adapt and, and pivot quickly when you need to. Right. So I would imagine it's important for you to, to continue to partner with, with, different technologies that can plug into yours, right? Absolutely. And make yeah, it exactly. easy and make it easy for for uh, a bright pearl user for example to be able to plug in different items and then if they want to unplug and replug uh, a newer version or a different version or a different vendor, they can do 100%. all that. 100%. And, and you know, one of our one of our philosophies um, is is about making sure our own customers have choice within the tech stack. If you want to use our proprietary technology, you know, for particular modules, great. If you outgrow that, we've we've got partners and we've got two or three or five partners to to choose from. So we want to make sure that um, there's always that kind of that that choice and that ability to kind of plug and play, ultimately just deliver a great customer service as as businesses grow. That's uh, that's pretty key. So Caitlin, is that headless commerce? Am I understanding headless commerce now for the first time? I think we're getting close. I think we're, we're with each conversation, we, we pick up a little gem here and there. We're getting there. Definitely server's dead. We know that. We know that. Stuart knows that he's not correcting us. He, he's, he's like, no, no. He's like, that's not it. That's Try not again. it. Try again. Excellent. All right. So, Caitlin, anything that we didn't ask? No, I think we, we hit cover? a lot here. I think it just, that, 
evolution and just how partnerships are so essential in this ecosystem. And our head of uh, partnerships, uh, Marco DePaulis, has been fen- phenomenal and just really bringing tons of value to everyone and just being able to be that thought leader and to your point store to have choices for folks. So when they are shopping for their next uh, ROS or ERP, whatever the case may be, you can point them at a few different folks and let them have at it and make make their own decision, which I think is is uh, really valuable in this space. Trust is trust is key. Trust is absolutely key. There's just an overwhelming amount of technology out there, and I don't think people have got time to you know, become experts. They want to use tried and trusted technologies and partners that have done the dance several times. And I would say, you know, for anyone that's in a partnership role listening to this, definitely follow Marco. He's uh, He's got some, some great thoughts in this space and shares a lot of good content out there. So, yeah. That absolutely does. All right, Stuart Pick, everybody from Bright Pearl. Really appreciate you coming on, Stuart. It was, it's a pleasure. And thanks for the, uh, for the education. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Caitlin. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, please check us out at sippinandchippin.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.